Good morning. Greet you in Jesus' name this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 2. I am going to speak on a group of people this morning that we normally associate with Christmas, but probably was not anywhere close to Christmas. And that is the wise men. So I'll read uh, Matthew 2, kind of get us acquainted with this situation surrounding the wise men. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. They said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when they have and we when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king they departed, and lo the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. For they saw the star, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. When he had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Being warned of God in a dream that they should return, not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. When they had departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared, peereth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child his mother, and flee unto Egypt, and be thou there till I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed into Egypt. It was there unto the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. When Herod, then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth, and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and all the coast thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah there was a voice heard, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children would not be comforted because they are not. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother. Go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother, came to the land of Israel. And when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father, 
father Herod, he was afraid to go thither, notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, and turned aside to the parts of Galilee, and came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, he shall be called a Nazarene. <clears throat> so who were the wise men? Were they kings? We three kings of Orient are. Anywhere in the read the Bible you read how many there were and that they were kings? It's amazing how one song can form a frame of reference in your mind that has zero biblical backing. Well, the wise men were a member of a priestly class among the ancient Medes and Persians. And you were born into that class. It was kind of like a caste, uh, like we have in... Oh, oh. What country where they had the cast? It just evaded me. India. India. There you go. So, if your dad was a wise man, that made you a wise man. How about that? But, so be it. Uh, they were considered either magicians or sorcerers. Or just a plain oriental scientist. Um, I did some research. Actually, if you go back into secular history, there's some indications that it could have been 300 wise men. So this whole thing of three guys, three wise men wandering into town looking for a star, um, quite possibly is not necessarily a vent. Um, and very unlikely kings. Uh, they were people like Daniel. Um, some would even say that these people, however many they were, could possibly have been escorted by an army. Now, so this 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 thing could escalate it. I mean, you could be have three hundred people escalated by an army. Uh, they gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The estimates there could be uh, from three quarters of a million dollars currently to thirty nine million dollars. So you have these men es- being escorted or whatever carrying. Up to $35 million would make sense, and maybe they have a little security around them. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I'd be one out in the desert with that much goods. Uh, the frankincense and the myrrh could have been worth more than the gold, which who knows how much gold it is, but like a $1,500 an ounce today, yeah, this could be substantial. But obviously they were very wealthy. They were very wealthy. 
but uh, also they seemed humble. In our culture, that that mix is not necessarily typical. Um, Jesus said, Matthew five three, "Blessed are poor in spirit; they shall see the kingdom of God." Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, these men, very wealthy. Turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel. Medes and the Persians, does that sound familiar? I'll just uh, briefly here look. Daniel 2, chapter 2, verse 13. Here, here, here the king was having, had a dream. <clears throat> and he says, I dreamed the dream. And he says, I don't know. Uh, um, what it was. So he, he brings all his... Um, Verse 2, king commanded to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans to show the king his dreams. And they came and stood before the king. And he said, I dreamed the dream, and I don't know what it was. So tell me what it was. And they said, now, now, now come on, king. It's like, tell us what the dream is. We'll tell you what it meant. And he said, well, I don't know what it was. And they said, well, you're, you're asking things that nobody on earth can find out. And the, and the king says, well, I know you. You're just trying to bid the time because you, 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 you know, you do you don't know what the answer is, and so you're killing time on me, and he says, I'm going to kill all of you. And verse 13, the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. So Daniel and his fellows were considered wise men, along with the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans. They're all bunched together. So the, the question, okay, let's keep going before I get to that. In Daniel 4, it's kind of the same thing. This has to do with, with dreams. Daniel 4, verse 6. Uh, here again, he had a dream. And, and therefore I make a decree, the king says, to bring all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, and I told the dream before them, but they did not make known to me the interpretation thereof. But at last, Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belteshazzar, and then he told Daniel the dream, and Daniel, uh, verse 13, no, I'm sorry, oh no, 6 to 8, all right. And then chapter 5, verse 8. Here we got the handwriting on the wall. And verse 8. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not interpret the writing or make known to the king the interpretation thereof. And he was greatly troubled. And then in verse 13. Then was Daniel brought in before the king, and the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel, which art of the children of the captivity of Judah? 
whom the king thy father brought me out of Jewry. And I have been told that the spirit of the gods is in you. So, so the question may arise, where did the wise men get this information about this star? They could well have got it from Daniel. And those, I mean, Daniel in that situation kept rising in power, so to speak, because of God's ability, his ability to interpret the dream, and because of his rank, that information could well have been passed down to the wise men looking for for the uh, for the star. So they came from modern day Iran, and they came uh, somewhere between six and twelve hundred miles. How'd you like to head off to? Sarasota, Florida from here on a camel looking for a king. Notice in verse 2 they came to Jerusalem and they said they didn't say is there a king been born here? They said where is he? Where is he? They didn't ask if. They said where. So they had a star. Verse 2. We have seen a star in the east and are come to worship him. So the star moved. They connected the moving of the star with some kind of a heavenly action. What's happening up there determines what's happening down here. And we say, well, were they superstitious? Not really. I don't think so. We believe that the actions up there determine what goes on down here, don't we? That's the hand of God moving. And um, we believe action in heaven is what brought Jesus down. We believe that his death had to do with things going on in heaven. His resurrection, his return. So maybe thought, I don't know, uh, Micah, let me see. In the book of Micah, Maybe that's where they got their clue. Micah 5, 2. But thou Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be a little among the thousands of Judah, out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is, to be a ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from the old, even from everlasting. So, I don't know. You look at the wise men and a little bit of information they had and the amount of effort they put into it. To me, I sit down and I think about that. And I think that, brothers and sisters, is truly amazing. Absolutely, 
truly amazing. The little bit that they knew and how much effort they put into finding out the little that they knew. And I ask myself today, what about me? You know, we may say, well, they were kind of ignorant. They didn't know really what what all was going on here. You know, we're all ignorant, aren't we? There's a lot we don't know. But you know, God, God, God can use, God can deal with ignorance. But he can't deal with dishonesty. You and I may have just small midgens, smidgens of truth about a certain thing in relation to God. And if we're honest, God can meet that ignorance with information, with the illumination of the Holy Spirit. He can, he can take that and He can lead us into the light, into the truth. But if we're dishonest, we're stuck. So how much effort am I willing to put forth? How much effort am I willing to put forth? How much perseverance do I have? Six hundred miles, twelve hundred miles? Six months on the road? How far would you get six months? I mean, if you actually decided, I mean, you know, like, the truth is in South America. Hey, you, you, you get there. I mean, you don't take six months to get there. But how much effort? So we have Herod. Very jealous, a very suspicious character. So now if you envision something more than just three men wandering into town looking for this, I mean, this could be 300 men, it could be 500 people, it could be, and, it, and here's this jealous man who is so power hungry that he killed five prince and princesses, he killed his favorite wife, he killed her mother, he killed her grandmother, he killed two children by his favorite wife. So here comes this crowd into town, and they're looking for a king. And the word goes out, goes to Herod, and he is not happy. And the word goes out into town, I can imagine. There's three people, minimum, maybe a couple hundred people coming into town looking for a new king. And one neighbor tells the other, and the other says, uh-oh. Now what?
they knew their rules reactions to threat they knew somebody's gonna get killed over this deal likely reference verse 16 what happened when he was mocked by the wise men everybody two years old and under dead no question to ask we're going to get it we're going to get it right we're going to make the the age high enough we're going to have it covered it's all done all possibilities are eliminated. Do you imagine living in that situation? So they're coming looking, and all Jerusalem was troubled. So when Herod, he gathered back to verse 4, and we had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of people together, demanded of them where Christ should be born. He didn't ask this. It's like, all right, where is Christ going to be born? He demanded of them. We're not playing games here. They said to him, Bethlehem of Judea, for thus is written by the prophet. Now Bethlehem and the land of Judea are not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. So we have the wise men that are seeking, making, we would say, extreme efforts to find the new king. The king refers to a group of people that really weren't that interested. Turn with me to your Bibles to Matthew 23. Jesus described this group of people that were asked this question. Matthew 23. Verse 1. Then Jesus spake, then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. So we have this group of people. And if you go down in verse 24 of the same chapter... Jesus says, Ye blind guides which strain at a net and swallow a camel. That's in the middle of the woes for the... So these people were able to show where to find Jesus Christ, but they weren't interested in seeking Him themselves. He said, Jesus says, Oh, they got all the right words, but they really aren't interested. Compare that with the two groups. The truth really didn't bother them. They didn't want to be bothered with truth. And this amazing statement that Herod said, 
which is a lie and the truth at the same uh, at the same time. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, verse 8, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. Was he going to worship Jesus? No. Will he worship Jesus? Just like everybody else. Every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Herod has yet to fulfill his own prophecy. He has yet to fulfill his own prophecy. I will come and worship him. That's sobering. That statement carried eternal truth unbeknownst to him. So, back to verse 9. So when they heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. So, they believed the Bible. First of all, they looked where they thought naturally might be a good place to find him. So they went to Jerusalem, most likely place. But when they were told different, they never hesitated. Now how would you feel if you were a wise man, you were looking for a king, and you went to Jerusalem, looking for a king, Say, um, in our day, say, they say, oh, he's in Minneapolis. All right? So you go to Minneapolis. The like place, I mean, it's a big city and, you know, got all the wealthy people in Minneapolis. And then you get to Minneapolis and they say, well, he's born in Lansing. What would you say if somebody told you there was a king born in Lansing? No, 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 not Lansing. Not Lansing. It can't be in Lansing. What do I do when I expect God to work in a certain way and then all at once he says, no, it's not going to be big. It's not going to be flashy. It's over here. Some secluded spot. There is where you will find my will for your life. Can I lay aside my preconceived ideas of how God should work and accept it when he says, no, no, it, it's going to be this way.
God rewarded their faith. They took off, the star started. Where'd they end up? Like in a little house with absolutely no fanfare, no wealth, no riches, no nothing. Nothing extraordinary. And maybe they could have thought, well, how can we worship a child with such poor peasant parents? How could we do that? Verse 11. They were coming to the house. They saw the young child with Mary's mother. Fell down. Worshipped him. How, how would you feel if you were in possession of, say, five million dollars and you were asked to give it to a child in a poor peasant home. How would you feel about that? How could could these extremely wealthy men find themselves kneeling in front of Jesus? How could they do that? First of all, they saw. They allowed God to adjust their vision. They saw Jesus and they saw themselves. Somehow, we have to, if we're going to see Jesus as he is, we must lay aside what we possess and see ourselves as we are without our possession. They saw themselves who they were. Okay, in relation to Jesus, not what they possessed in relation to Jesus. Jesus said, a man's life consisteth not of the abundance of the things which he possesses. Can I lay aside any kind of status? Can I lay aside any kind of Accumulated goods, can I lay aside all that stuff? Can I see myself, just myself, and my needs in relation to Jesus Christ? Can I do that?
They saw themselves who they were rather than by what they possessed. I understand it's, it was normal. If you approached a, um, Eastern king, you presented gifts. Alright? So they saw the king as he was. They worshipped him. They fell down in submission before him. And they presented to him gifts. What gift can I give to Jesus? Does it make a difference how much of a gift I give? Does it make a difference of how I view myself in relation to how much I give? Initially, and I think this is basically true, we come to Jesus Christ initially for what he can give to us. And that's salvation through Jesus, through himself. Okay, we're needy people. We know we come to the realization we need Jesus Christ. And we come to him because... What he can do for us. Alright? The question I have this morning, can we move from that into what can I do for him? Have I moved from that? Have I matured enough that is, you know, okay, if, you know, it's the typical message today is like, you know, you accept Jesus and you get this 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 and you get this. And you whip up everything you can get. But if I moved from that to now, yes, I, in appreciation for what I have received, now what can I give? How much can I give? How much am I willing to give? Am I willing to give of my spiritual resources? Am I willing to give my material resources? Am I willing to give my spiritual giftings that God has given to me? Do I hold those things with a loose hand and say, God, here they are, my hands are open, and you can take them and you can use them to to your glory? Or, or am I just kind of grabbing hold of them. Am I saying, okay, God, you can do this, but not that. Do I give God my concentrated resources? Now, I don't know if how you look at money, but I look at money as concentrated effort. All right? 
Okay, so I, I work and I make so many dollars an hour and I get a paycheck and I can go to the bank and I can change that into a $100 bill. Okay, so that $100 bill slides right into my wallet. Really, It's really thin and it fits right in there, a okay, $100 bill. So what does that represent? Concentrated effort, right? Yeah. Am I okay? So gold, frankincense, and myrrh constituted concentrated effort on part of the wise men, and they were willing to shell it out. That's the reason why it's easier to give a twenty-dollar bill than it is a hundred-dollar bill because there's more concentrated effort in a hundred-dollar bill than there is a twenty-dollar bill. All right. So if you had. If we had offering plate this morning, say, okay, we're only accepting gold. So that's $1,470 an ounce right now. Almost 1500 bucks. So we're only accepting gold. How much gold would we get? You throw in half a pound? Am I willing to give God my concentrated effort? How much? They presented. Nobody asked. They presented. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You gave a whole sermon on what all that meant. Always thought it was like gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But uh, from research I did, it could have been gold, frankincense, and myrrh when it comes to value. Because the, those were medicinal painkillers and the stuff that yeah, it's kind of like you go to the doctor now. I mean, you go to the pharmacy now and you order a couple of pills and they say, you know, 120 bucks and it's six pills or something. It's like, how can that be? All right. Do I open up myself and I'm willing to give concentrated effort like the wise men? Am I seeking? Am I finding? Am I willing to adjust my perspectives of what God wants from me? How I will find Him? How I need to serve Him? Am I flexible? Am I teachable? Am I seeking? Like the wise men. If I am, then I'm one of those. And God will certainly lead me on to greater light, to greater relationship with Him. Just like He did the wise men in Matthew.